This is Real Talk, the Customer Insights Show with Jen Vogel. Jen and her guests share valuable information to help you understand your customers better. Available wherever you listen to podcasts, you can also ask Alexa or Siri to play Real Talk. This episode is presented to you by Vox Popme, the leader in video surveys. Here's today's episode. Hello, insights professionals, marketers, and everyone who wants to understand their customers better. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Real Talk, the Customer Insight Show. We are live on LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube, and the podcast version will be available on your favorite podcast channel later this week. So today, to create a good customer experience, companies need to make CX a priority. We've talked about that before a lot on the show, good customer service, good customer experiences happen through deliberate thinking and actions. So how do you implement a CX program that moves our customer experience to another level? So today I'm joined by a global expert on the topic. I'm really excited to chat with Luke Williams, global head of customer experience at Qualtrics on today's episode. Welcome, Luke. Hello, everybody. Hello, Internet. How's it going? Really good to see you today. I'm really excited for this conversation. Um, and what before we can do about that, what's that? It's going to be good whether you like it or not. So um, before we get into the real meat of, of today's episode, one question that I ask all of our guests is, who do you think about when you hear the word customer? Oh, my goodness. I don't, I don't, I don't think of a person. I, I live, so my background is in research methods and analytics. So I think, I don't think of any one individual ever, right? So I, I always think about it in terms of like the same way, like my mother would tell me like growing up, I was like, yeah, you're unique and special, just like everybody else, right? <laughs> so, so I, so I always, I always try to imagine clusters and micro clusters of individuals whose, whose attitudes, behaviors, you know, likelihood of, of committing to certain behaviors or things that I can approximate and understand. So I was just chatting with somebody today that really the thing that I'm focused on the most is um, how do I how do I build science around understanding decisions that people make? Because if I can understand their decisions and their process for making decisions, we can make things better that manipulate the outcome, which it sounds kind of creepy when you say it that way, but I'm a data scientist. So that's what we do. Like we're trying to figure out how do we ultimately get better outcomes for the customer, but with a with an end in mind? So I don't think of, I'm sure I'm sure somebody at this point has said, I think of my mother, I think of my sister, I think of my neighbor, and I don't think of any of those people at all. Like, <laughs> I just, I wish I was a better person. I'm just not. I no, just, I think the data makes more sense to me. That's great. I mean, this is what why we have the show is for unique perspectives. And I think a lot of the answers we've had so far have been about, you know, the people that buy our products or the people who we're servicing and you know you're you certainly have like a, a a slightly altered viewpoint of who the customer is and probably therefore customer experience in general well i mean so here i mean i don't know who said these things but my immediate challenger opinion would be if the single fastest way to grow a brand is by increasing penetration in a marketplace if you're thinking about the customer that you're trying to sell to you shouldn't be thinking about the customer you already have that's that's a servicing issue but the experiences that were going to be designed, if you have a vocal enough brand, if you are known in your markets, the people who don't use you don't use you for a reason. So those are the things that you need to be fixing strategically in order to acquire more customers. Now, if you have a problem where you're a smaller brand and no one's ever heard of you or people don't understand your offering, that's a marketing problem, right? 
But as we start to get in, like, well, you know, customer experience on its own, like, can't help you with that. That's purely a an awareness, familiarity type of, you know, advertising and, and marketing issue. But once we become aware of your products and services, customer experience as a form of differentiation it has to be moving in two directions simultaneously. One, tactically to fix, frankly, things that should never have been broken, right? In most of the servicing capacities that we have. And then the other direction is 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 strategically, meaning we're going to start going places that competitors can't go as well as we can, um, you know, or we're going to go to places where they just can't go, period. So, you know, so when I think about, what we think about our customer, we think about X, Y, Z, or, um, that's part of it, but I think bringing future state prospects into your customer base. You know, we've we've talked a lot too about you know the customer journey and you know mapping the customer journey, and it does really start with awareness and discovery and evaluation, and you know, but where does a a customer experience program really fit in that journey? I think is maybe something we haven't really talked about. Um, you know, is it acquisition? Is it you know a servicing issue it's between servicing and and fixing? problems and friction and things like that versus creating a customer experience, a positive customer experience that, you know, creates loyalty and things like that. So lots of I, stuff we can dig into. I, I'll go where you want me to go. Okay. All right. Well, maybe we can, you know, back up a little bit and just talk about you and kind of your journey in um, customer experience management and, and creating customer experience programs. Yeah, I mean, my my background is, I think like most people in customer experience, very few people ended up here on purpose. Um, my my background, I was, you know, before grad school, I was doing logistics optimization, which is, if you're in the mathematics world, is just about the most boring version of mathematics that you can do. Um, and it's it's literally at a, at a job that I'm so not proud of that I don't even put it on my resume, which caused me to go to graduate school, which was great. So I did my master's degree in research methods and statistics, and I also had a side focus on policy. So I initially thought when I came out, like I was going to go work at the UN and save the world through great research. That was like my big goal, right? Um, turns out 2007, nobody was hiring for people to save the world through research. So I did the next best thing is I went to go uh, work for a market research company to help credit card companies make more money. So that was like second best. And then just, you know, through the world of, of at the time, what was customer loyalty, right? And, and operational excellence, those two worlds kind of collided in terms of nomenclature somewhere around 2007, 2008, where we started calling it customer experience, which if we're, I don't, and my, my views don't represent my company or anyone in the world, but let's be honest at the time, that was just a, a mostly a, a new coat of marketing paint over rust. I was saying like, pro, like loyalty programs in marketing departments were old operational excellence in, in channel operations was old. Like, let's put it together and call it something new. Because at the time we were using the same research methods to do both. And, you know, and out of that, we accidentally created, we meaning myself and, and tens of thousands of other practitioners, right? We, we accidentally created a field and a discipline of like that we all communicate and understand intuitively, but underneath it is some form of learning. And the purpose of that learning at some point is to take action on that learning where historically um, the types of things that we were looking at didn't have a single rubric. We've now transformed, I think, we've seen the transformation of customer experience into a firm level discipline that people understand that you can actually make real money with. Like, you know, there was, there's always been great brands that happen to compete on customer experience. They just didn't call it that, mm. right? So Amex didn't call it that in the 80s. Disney didn't call it that in the 60s. Like, there's, you know, Ritz Carl, ooh, I got barked at by a dog. Because I said Di Disney, is the dog's name Disney? Um, <laughs> 
So, so to, so to me, I think, you know, the way that I came in, I came in through the side door. So I, you know, as a research methodologist and I worked in the analytics space, and then as I went along, I picked up strategy along the way. So I've, I've sort of accumulated certain skills like a barnacle, you know, like barnacles on the bottom of a boat. And where, where I live today is predominantly um, transitioning between 30,000 foot strategy conversations to like two foot level, why isn't this survey working type of things um, and, and everywhere in between. So I think my role in the customer experience, you know, um, we'll call it the reformation of customer experience in organizations has largely been the, the data-driven guy with some opinions about what that data says and does. I don't okay. know. Can you just, you, you tell me, how did you get here? How, oh, how did I get here? Um, yeah, I mean, as a marketer, I, I started off in, in B2C marketing and I, um, I thought that I got a job offer in the market research industry and I thought research would be a good thing on my resume as a marketer for my career. And that was like 12 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so I got, I got tr stuck. I don't think I'm going anywhere. I actually really love the, the, the research and the customer experience space. Um, and like you say, like all the way down to the, you know, this survey, this specific data, how is that driving this specific decision? Um, all the way up to the kind of 30,000 foot view. Um, and and just a side note, I'd lo love to welcome my dog Henrik to the show. I think this was the first appearance he's made, uh, which is shocking. So <laughs> if, if your dog is named after Henrik Lundquist, we're going to have a problem. Oh, gosh, that's going to be a separate episode, I think. Okay. Um, <laughs> he is named after the king. But um, but well, yeah, I think, you know, I got here sideways, just kind of like you did. Like, mm -hmm. I don't think I, I took market research courses in college and through yeah. marketing and, you know, never thought I want to be a researcher or, you know, SPSS is my, you like, I can't wait to do more of that, you know, but I got here um, and, you know, got stuck. This is, so this is what I love about this right now, right? So, so 15 and 20 years ago, if we're completely honest, the people who ended up in this space were just like the riffraff of the social sciences degrees. It's like, finally, there's a career path for somebody with an undergraduate degree in sociology. Right. And, and now you look at places like Michigan state or, or St. John's or all these mm -hmm. universities that are standing up bona fide academic programs around customer experience, experience management, where it's an actual discipline that's being taught. And what you end up realizing is like a lot of that stuff got genuinely created in the last 10 or 15 years, mm -hmm. which is pretty exciting. Right. So like, so I started my career at Ipsos, right. Which, you know, I mean, people can see my LinkedIn profile. I don't think it's a secret. Um, you know, I spent time there and I went client side, which was like the greatest thing in the world. I learned more about more about how customer experience actually works in companies in one week working to do this stuff for real than it was eight years of consulting um, on that topic. And then like the last five years, I've been at Qualtrics. Hard to believe it's been five years already. Wow. But yeah. Qualtrics has been it for me because the, you know, I started using Qualtrics in like 2009 something like that, like back when it was just like a survey tool. And then I started, I bought my own enterprise license agreement with Qualtrics when I was on the client side. And it's really been, what happens is you get into the weeds on the client side and you realize that all that stuff about the program, the quantitative aspects of it, the ticketing components, all that stuff has to run perfect. But there's this whole other bucket of like change management and persuading people where you have no domain or power that is like where the rubber meets the road. 
And what you realize is anybody who's wasting their time thinking about the quantitative stuff from making sure that the program is running, they are taking away time from what their day job needs to be. And that's where like this picture for me of like where the tech really makes the most sense is like it frees you to be this creative competitive person who's going to choose how to compete on experiences and get good advice on how to do that and how to communicate with people in singular layers and at scale and all the things that support your mission of making, I don't want to be like making the world a better place through customer experience, but that's true. Like, I mean, it really is legitimate. If you look at the average experience today versus the average experience getting delivered in retail, tech, financial services, 15 years ago, they're night and day. Like the world is materially better, but nobody cares because like, well, it hasn't gotten so much other than Amazon overnight shipping. Everyone's like, yeah, it's better, but like, you know, could always be better. Yeah. Because no one's ever happy. Like there's, there's there's an end there's an endless amount of work to be done. And I like that Sisyphus aspect of customer experience of like there's always work to be done. There's always experiences to be improved. There's always experiences to be redesigned for strategic purposes. Um, I think that's that's like where my head is in the space. I think that's like my whole evolution. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting how you say like the evolution of customer experience programs in the last 15 years, like companies were competing on experience, but they weren't mm -hmm. calling it that. Now they very clearly are. There's definitely this sense of like expectation setting where I, as a consumer of all different types of products and services, my expectations as, as the experiences improve, my expectation for that experience <laughs> like goes up. As soon as you give me a better experience, if, if that doesn't get met, I'm disappointed. And then the bar is constantly raised and raised and raised. Like, you know, is that the reason why now there are, you know, graduate programs designed around this exact topic when there wasn't before? There is an assent around like capturing customer experience feedback and understanding and improving experiences. Like, you know, it's sort of the cycle, you refer to it as the Sisyphus, like ball up a hill here. Um, but yeah, I'd love to hear what you think about it's that expectations. I mean, there's a there's an actual thing to to represent, right? It's called the hedonic cycle. And it basically just means like you know, any any time that you have something that's new that you're happy with, it becomes an expectation over time. The newness of it, the attractiveness of it, the things you like the most about it eventually become familiar to you. And then eventually you you, you know, familiarity breeds contempt. And over and over again, we're having to just we're having to fill up the bucket over and over to feel like we're pushing this thing forward. The the I think that you know that the fact master's degrees and stuff in this now, I think it has to do with the fact that companies have come to recognize that competition on customer experience isn't fake and it's not the ones who work in customer experience who are saying it. Right. Mm -hmm. What happens is like in the the 50 years ago, companies couldn't figure out supply chain. It wasn't easy to get stuff where you needed to go in a predictable, like everything was done on pen and paper. You had no idea where a ship manifest was. A boat would sit in the harbor for a month. Like yeah. logistics was the issue, right? Companies that started competing on logistics, which eventually became your modern day SAP, meaning of competition. In fact, Amazon showed in the 90s that they, you could still easily compete on something like that. Mm -hmm. and what happens is, is that, okay, but like now everywhere I go, I expect overnight shipping. So my assumption is like, and the, I remember I was listening to my wife yesterday. It's like, I can't believe this company doesn't have free returns. I'm like, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, what a thing to care about. Like you, yeah. you spent $500 on curtains. Like who cares about this $6 in shipping? Yeah. But for her, it's a symbol, mm -hmm. right? It's a symbol of what, you know, oh, this, the company's cheap. The company's this, the company's that. 
But at a certain point, like if I can get curtains from West Elm, Ikea, Pottery Barn, nine other companies, and I can get it all tomorrow, right? What are you actually competing on? You're not competing on product. It's all the same product coming from the same three manufacturers of, of you know, curtains in the world, or at least that's what it looks like to me. So at a certain point, if you take away the primary point of like determining your decision, you move to, you're like, okay, all things being equal. I now move to my secondary decision-making criteria. And now everyone's got the same thing. Everyone's got a beautiful UX. Everyone's got an easy to manage shopping cart, you know, recommending products that are relevant to me. Everyone's got the algo. Everyone's got, all, so now like, okay, everybody's got that. Now I'm moving to my, my tertiary decision-making criteria. And it looks like really small, minute stuff to people. It almost appears emotional, but it's just because you don't know how to really, most people don't know how to measure it accurately unless you live and work in the customer experience realm. So like, look, think about your car, for example. If I took away, you know, if you have the greatest car in the world and you love it, if I took away like analog brakes, you wouldn't drive that thing 10 feet, right? So it's like, <laughs> well, it's like, it's like safety is a primary consideration. If it doesn't have airbags, if it doesn't have disc brakes, I don't care that it's a Porsche. No one's getting in it. But then we go down and we go down and we go down. And, and then now we get down to like the real decision making on most cars is things like fit and finish, right? It's like, yeah, it's like, well, what does that mean? It's like, ah, it's the way the car feels. It's hard to describe. But if we like, if you're really good and you're highly numerate and you, you know how to do research methods, you know how to like, oh, it's the actual ergonomics of the distance to, it's like your height from shoulder to, to, to seat compared to the distance traveled to get to the, the, the you know, the, the knob on the third, the thermometer, right? My wife now buys cars based on whether or not they have a, a real knob versus a digital screen. My wife, will, we're about to buy a new car. My wife will not consider a car that has a touchscreen for temperature. Which is great because it immediately knocked it down to basically two choices, right? It was super, right. super fun. But when we think about, you know, what is like, what does all, all this mean from a customer experience standpoint? It's like understanding the differences between what makes people happy and what makes people behave certain ways. And that oftentimes those two things are different means that we can now compete on two aspects of telemetry, which is an advanced form of thinking that most people don't because a lot of people make like random assumptions of like, you know, we make experiences better. We'll get more customers. It's like, well, maybe that's true. Maybe you hope like, you know, if you go out and do the work, you find out that actually in some cases, there's plenty of ways to spend money on improving experiences without making back a single dime. So if you don't do this stuff, if you, so if the more advanced you think about it, the more you realize it's like, why well, not? I don't need to make experiences better. I need to make them better to the point that they're actually better than competitors experiences. And as a result, I can drive a bunch of revenue because there's a lot of ways to make people happy without spending a dime more. So my goal as a company is to get you to spend more dimes, which means I, you know, like I shouldn't spend $89 when $90 is what's needed in terms of improving the experience. So you can start making very strategic choices about where do we want to compete and how, right? Beyond a certain baseline, like where do we make the right kind of investments? And that's really what I think experience management is about for us analyst type of folks of like, what, do we have strong evidence that is going to help us to a winning strategy faster than people who don't make the investment in experience management the way that we do? Mm -hmm. And that's the game yeah. right now. And you see companies competing on that type of stuff all the time. Yeah. And I think like it's it has gotten to a point where, um, you know, there's no more question of like, why is customer experience important? Or why do you need to focus on this? I think it's really the complexity of what you're just talking about. Like, how do you actually capture data that you can make decisions on? How can you measure whether or not there's any kind of ROI on it? 
Like, how can you turn things that feel emotional into actual data that you mm -hmm. can measure? Like, like how how does how does a company get started in building a program that can actually measure all of those things and act on it and and really make that that impact of of ultimately more revenue? Yeah, I mean, there's 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 a lot of there's a lot of stuff wrapped up in that question, right? If you, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So you can come up with the perfect product in the most competitive environment that fits white space perfectly, but you need employees to carry that with you, right? Mm -hmm. So when we think about measurement, it's like, well, measurement has all different types of applications. So somebody who's running an experience you know, management program today is having to manage those separate agendas. So the things that we'll go deep on from an analytics perspective is say like, hey, here's an actual strategy map that says, this is where we're making money, how and why, differentiated versus competitors. Based on this, this is where we think we should be going, right? And that's relative to your competitive set and all those things. Your frontline staff doesn't need that stuff, right? They're, they're at the coalface. They're fighting, why isn't the website working? Why aren't you know the things that we need like right in front of us? So this question of like, how do we measure? It's like, well, what is the purpose of measurement, right? So, and, and that's one of those places where it used to be the case that everyone was agreed on what the measurement was for, which was filling knowledge gaps of like, hey, we don't know the answer to this, let's go learn. Or like, hey, we measure ourselves on these six things, like let's go get a report card because we have no way of knowing that without you know them telling us. That's not, that's not the world in 2021. You wanna know how, what's going on with your brand? Click on your social media. Right. Look at the volume of tickets that you've got in your customer care center. Like the available telemetry is pretty, you know, significant. But mm -hmm. the question, what do we do about like, do I do I need to be investing in a better product or do I need to be investing in better contact center training? I can't answer those questions without getting information on them. But at the end of the day, I need to be able to get what I need from an analytics perspective to make serious decisions. But the frontline staff also needs to be able to say we're going to do a rewards and recognition program. For staff, how do we make sure that we're measuring staff fairly? You know, like how do we make sure that they're not getting tattooed for the negative experiences that management couldn't fix, mm -hmm. right? When forty percent of contact center agents, the thing they hate most about their jobs is being measured on oversimplified metrics that don't they don't feel reflect their performance, mm -hmm. right? So when you think about whether it's performance management or customer understanding or filling knowledge gaps or exploration, whatever the purpose is of you know or purposes of your program are. You know, we have to be very clear about like the value that they bring. And I think it's just, I think it's the same type of management challenge that marketing had 15 years ago. It's like, you know, there used to just be marketing, right? Yes. And now you've got, you've got SEO, you've got blah, blah, you got, you got 12 different flavors of marketing all in one department, customer experience and, and experience management generally, I think is now at that place mm. where we're saying like, it's not a one size fits all tool. It's actually a pretty complex web of activity. But when you look at it on a map, it actually is quite harmonized to the three to five goals that we've set for ourselves, right? Of like, how do we create great experiences, right? When we have an op the gift of an opportunity to talk to a customer, how do we make our products more attractive to get them to renew? How do we turn customers into word of mouth, you know, positive word of mouth advocates for us on all the channels that matter? Like there's, you know, two to three other, you know, financial goals in there, but that's always what the companies companies always come back to the same five goals. Hmm. So the question is, how does customer experience meaningfully change what the company would do as a result of being present versus not? And I think the best programs, the, the, the most, you know, basic programs are solving for cost and time issues, right? Mm 
the most advanced programs are share of wallet, customer lifetime value, and market penetration problems. Mm-hmm. You know, and they tend to solve them in different ways, right? The, the cost and time solution tends stuff that have been broken. The other side, you know, tends to think of 10x innovations of where did we go, right? And it's always this, this the joke, right? I saw it on Twitter the other day. It's a quote from a person who I should know, but I'm not smart enough. And the quote is basically, it's like, um, excellence is hitting a target that nobody else can hit. Genius is hitting a target that no one else can see, mm. right? And And there are companies that are getting really good at experience delivery and optimizing that less are great at experience design. But I promise you can't compete by 2025 uh, if you don't have both. Yeah. Oh my gosh. There's so many things to kind of unpack in what you've just said. And I think what, like one of the things that really resonates with me is like being really aligned and understanding what those goals are. You know, there's a lot of things that we can measure. And there's a lot of metrics we can look at all the time. And, you know, as a marketer, I mean, I I face this every day. There's a million different metrics and conversion rates and all types of things I can look at. And we can improve any one or 10 of those metrics at any given fully aligned on what the actual objective is or goal is or, or how it rolls into the business objectives overall. You know, we could be focused in all the wrong places. You know, we could be trying to get more web traffic when actually what we need to be doing is focusing more on, you know, some other metric. And so that that like aligning on what the strategic goal is, I think, is like the crucial part that probably uh, maybe maybe different people within organizations have an idea of what the strategic goal is. But that alignment is, I think, where a lot of a lot of companies miss out. And and the idea of like experience delivery versus experience design is a that was a really powerful statement to me also and i'm thinking about you know i read a book a couple years ago uh recommended to me by dave uh called play bigger which is about you know category Mm -hmm. creators you know companies that have you know done something differently and uh there's a lot of really incredible examples in that book about you know I mean, you mentioned this earlier, like it's, they're not competing on product. Their, their product is essentially the same as their competitors, but they've created this, you know, this experience where like, I want to be, I don't, I don't buy Apple products because I think the camera is better than Samsung camera phones. Like, I don't know the difference between the product itself, but there is a feeling that they sell you. There is an experience that they sell you of being an Apple customer. Um, and like that's the difference between, you know, actually creating, a, like designing an experience as a customer of that brand, as a loyal customer of that brand versus just, you know, making sure it gets to me in 24 hours. Yeah, I mean, and we learned that, right, about about how do we, like all the things that people say are important, the things that we can actually control, it turns out that's actually not the problem, mm. right? So things like, I want over free overnight shipping. And what we really figured out is you just want to be sure that your package is going to get there and when it's going to get there. So we gave you the app. We're now like in UPS, you can literally track like your package is two stops away. Yeah. Like now I know I need to stop. I turn off this stove. I put this kid over here in this little, you know, baby jail. And then I, <laughs> and then I wait, right, for the thing. But I think what you're saying is absolutely true because you look at companies like Apple, most of the time people are not making a phone decision based on Apple versus Samsung. It's which Apple am I going to get? 
should I get the 12 or get the 12 monster max or whatever the heck it's called. Right. Like this, this giant thing is literally the size of my face. Probably shouldn't show my text messages on uh, the internet there, but um, there's a picture of my son, by the way. Um, yeah. I mean, these are, these are the types of things where you're trying to, you're trying to build out this ecosystem, but to me, it's to, so as somebody who goes out and tries to strategically advise on how we build these things, like my goal is to walk in and be able to help anybody, anybody from a Steve Jobs to a Kylan Lundin, you know, to a Jay Choi, to whoever, you know, whatever thing you're building, I've got a skill set that I can bring to bear, right? I'm essentially like, if you think about in a microcosm, I, I'm kind of the target user for a Qualtrics type platform, right? If Qualtrics kicked, you know, kicked me out tomorrow, said, hey, we have one employee too many, right? Sorry. Um, <laughs> I, I go into getting a job and then going right back and using Qualtrics. Mm -hmm. So my, I'm trying, so when I'm thinking about my customer, I guess I'm just thinking about myself all the time. Um, but it's one of these things of like, we're, we're constantly trying to have to manage the issue of what comes next, what fits from a brand perspective, ultimately, what can we pull off that is consistent with the experiences that people expect at our level, right? If Amazon got into the banking business tomorrow, people would have very strong expectations about what an Amazon bank would look like. Mm -hmm. And any failure to meet those expectations would be a disaster, right? And it, and it ultimately wouldn't work. So one of the things that I think when we try to explain to people, like, what is the benefit of these experiences? And we, everybody talks about the same 20 or 30 amazing experience brands. I talk about the next 50, 80, 100 who are right almost there. They're, they're so close to having like that perfect combination, puzzle pieces fitting together. And really what it is, is those great experiences reflect the amount and quality of thinking that goes into delivering it. It's the design component for sure. Also, it being delivered. You can have the best ideas in the world and not deliver. It's not worth anything. You can have an average idea and deliver it perfectly and you've invented the vending machine, right? So the question is, is like, how do we put these two things together? And when you step back, you say, you know what? It's clear that they put a ton of thought into it. Why is Apple a trillion dollar company? They had a vision of how an ecosystem would make every individual product sticky. They sold $18 billion worth of iPods last year. Like that's an insane revenue number for a thing you jam in your ear who that's primary function is the same as the thing that was tethered to your phone, except that now it tells you how dirty your ears are every couple of days. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, so when you think about the, like, what does this mean? Like, how do we suck people in? I was given some of the greatest advice in my whole life and I'm going to give it to the internet for free. Pay it, pay attention, internet. Stay you're, tuned. Always, <laughs> you're always going to get one thing out of Luke that he ultimately regrets. And this is giving you one of my things that I learned that's really important. You're always better off not thinking about features or individual things. When you try to get on Oprah Winfrey, you don't pitch the guest, you pitch the show, right? Because the producers can get anybody they want. They can get Barack Obama, they can get George Clooney. If you're a regular person and you're writing a book and you're trying to get on Oprah Winfrey, Say, I've got an idea for an hour-long show with these three segments. These are the four speakers I think you could get or guests you can get. And here are their contact information. Your likelihood of getting on Oprah just went up a thousandfold. The same thing is true when you're thinking about products now, right? Like, you know, you got to pitch a complete show, an idea. Like, the only companies that can pitch into, into a narrow lane are the ones who are basically identifying an unmet need. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it, the problem with that is, is that the the level of competition now is that copycats are a dime a dozen, and they're usually much bigger than you, mm. right? And their their leverage, their ability to scale, 
will crush small companies. This is the argument we're seeing. I was like, how do small companies get ahead? The answer is like, you just have to be more thoughtful, but there's always going to be a pendulum swing between companies that over rotate on profit, right? And then they ultimately cut back on the things that deliver those great experiences. The $6 thing, you know, what? which furniture company just lost the sale of a $2,000 couch because they have $6 shipping on a $50 curtain, right? Like we are not thinking about the customer there. Mm -hmm. that, that's a decision being made by the COO, mm -hmm. right? So it's, I mean, that's, that's the challenge you've got. If you're, if you're running these, you know, types of experience management programs is my job is to influence the entire ecosystem that the service manager matters, the product getting delivered matters, how we price and package these things matter, how thoughtfully we curate all this stuff together is what gives us the most profitable, you know, purchases and experiences and makes the customer happy. They're happy to give you the two grand, right? Cause you're, you know, you're, you, my wife wants a fancy couch. I don't know why. I mean, my kid just put raspberries all over the white couch we have. Like yesterday, we're sitting there with vinegar trying to get the thing. I was like, so if I want to get a new couch, I was like, so long as it's not white, <laughs> whatever you want. I can totally understand the $2,000 couch, even though your kid's going to rub raspberries on it. Because, you know, I'll, I'll do the same thing. Once, once there's a raspberry stain, you definitely need something new to rub raspberries into. Well, so. I'm allowed to sleep on the couch right now. Like, you know... Couches are for sitting, beds are for lying. It's like, well, now they're used for storing food. So can I lay on the couch now? There you go. <laughs> That's a good <laughs> argument. <laughs> so, I mean, all this stuff is like, you know, it sounds really great, right? Like, mm -hmm. oh, everybody think, you know, go towards the same goal, be collaborative. We all have to be thinking about the same thing. Like, all about creating these mm -hmm. ecosystem experiences. If I'm a company and I'm listening today to all of this and, and I've made, no progress. How do I get started? Like that all sounds like a dream, but it feels very far away if, you know, maybe you don't have the, um, the foundations in place. So, so how do you kind of get a customer experience program kicked off? This is where there's no one right answer, right? You, if you, you ask, you know, in the history of the, the 30 greatest painters of the world, like, where do you start? Right. The, the talent is going to like where they start reflects their body. Always, if I'm starting with nothing, I would start with where am I losing customers and why? It's always because I spent a bunch of money acquiring people into the ecosystem. I don't even have to understand all the marketing analytics to know when we're, if we have a churn rate, that's a problem. I've got to identify why they're churning. There's usually only four reasons that customers churn. And I need to know that first because it tells me where I spend my first $10. Right. If people are not leaving because I have bad service, like I have it's these service issues, but the proportion of people that are leaving is predominantly not because of service issues. I have to understand like my product and my competitive landscape. That's the very first thing I have to understand. Right. If what I'm getting back is, hey, the reason I'm leaving is because of these really negative experiences. I'd be pivoting directly in operational CX and saying, OK, let's get a, you know, an omni-channel program set up today to find out what are the journeys that people are on? Where are these things broken? At what point do we have sufficient trauma that people are going to exit out of the process? You know, when we're losing people, are they low tenure? Are they high tenure? Like, so the, the first question I always ask is, is where are we losing customers and why? Because that money is being spent at a prodigious rate. It's like standing in Times Square and looking at the national debt, right? <laughs> like, that much, like you can stand there all day. That, that number is just going to keep going up. So what I want to do is first things first, I want to step in there and, and jam a wedge in there. Because cut, like companies almost always immediately respond to, hey, you just saved us a ton of money. 
And if I can do a thing that saves you a ton of money while making you a ton of money first, I've gained permission to say, okay, I, I'm, I'm a serious person. I care about the business of this. We have a unique way of looking and fixing the world. Um, let me tell you some other things that we've got. If I come at them first and say, hey, let me, you know, let me, let me talk to you about competitive war analytics and strategic differentiation and the difference between spend drivers and satisfaction drivers, people are like, oh, I remember going to B school and I never went back. Like, so, I, so we usually almost always start with the basic question that's very grounded in reality. And I, I let that choose my own adventure. Am I going immediately strategic or am I going operational first? Most of the time you end up operationally first. Because the truth is, you you know, you're going to need that stuff anyway, long term. And then the other thing I would say to put a bow on it, just to be you know completely equivocal, is that you know you have you have what we refer to as even uh, uneven and combined development. Means there's there's a lack of telemetry in your business. If let's pretend you didn't have supply chain management, like where would you start? Well, you start everywhere, Mm. right? So. The answer is like, uh, you actually need a larger initiative that actually puts some telemetry in place with a sense of what that's going to give you when you turn the machine on, right? And like, hey, this has got a ticketing system. Hey, we know what to do. Hey, we've got a team that's going to be doing, um, you know, customer recovery and things like that set up. Like there's really more organizational design that goes into it probably than telemetry design, Hmm. to be honest. Like, you know, companies like Qualtrics are never the limiter in how fast companies can run. It's usually how fast they can organize themselves to get going. Sure. Right. Um, so I, I would say for me, um, start with understanding customer churn, and then I would I would build that way. I'll eventually get to killing markets and killing competitors, which is super hard strategy. Mm-hmm. But I need to start first by understanding why money we spent is walking out the door. Personal bias. Very helpful. I appreciate that response. We believe it or not, have been talking for like 45 minutes. This time is going by very quickly. I could talk for for several hours, I'm sure. Um, But I think we should probably think about wrapping it up. I I just want to give you a chance. Like, is there anything else you would say? Anything, any, your, your greatest, you already gave us your greatest advice actually about, you know, how to pitch Oprah. So (laughs) I, um, the one piece of advice I would give to folks is do not be if if you're if you're just trying to figure out how to like use experience management and tools like that to your advantage be super fearless because th- i think th- there's some head trash in here about like oh i'm trying to like we're there's still some small bit of us that is tiptoeing around the little kid's table that says like well you're like we're getting into this which is like you know what the person who's getting a master's degree in customer experience management in 2022 from Michigan State, like they're fearless because their assumption is, is that the world has always worked this way and they're going to move super fast. The same way that nobody pushes back on marketing telemetry now. Look at where marketing telemetry is versus where it was in the 90s, right? I mean, talk about night and day, like saved marketing, analytics saved marketing in many in many respects. The same thing is true of how we, how we manage you know, and create experiences. Because it's it really is going to be the most effective place where you can differentiate because at some point we have to have the idea about this is what we're going to choose to do. And nobody can have that idea except you, like, or at least have it first. So that I think that, there's, that there is an unlimited amount of sustainable competitive advantage. So be fearless about getting there first, right? Just doesn't, if, if somebody tells you, yeah, we don't need that, go work someplace else. 
you know, like <laughs> this is terrible advice. I mean, <laughs> this is awful advice, but I mean, it, but it's the, that's the truth. I mean, company companies that choose not to compete on this stuff are, are willfully um, choosing to measure their, their own decline. That that's the reality. Like this is, it's absolutely the battlefield. And I'd be happy to argue with anybody and anybody who says, well, this and the product, I'm like, yes, if you don't have supply chain, that'll kill you. Yes. If you don't have financial controls, that'll kill you. I'm just assuming you have, you know, anti-lock brakes and airbags mm -hmm. and seatbelts. Right. And that's not the feature I think of when I'm driving a Porsche. Like, so that's, that to me, I think would be the advice I would give. There, there is an element of like hierarchy of needs. It's like, <laughs> this is the baseline. Like in order to actually be able to sell a product, you need to have all of these things. And in order to differentiate, like that's that next level. I keep thinking, we're talking about like buying cars. Like I bought a new car in the fall and part of my decision-making, I'll be honest, was the car I ultimately ended up buying. They will come to my house and pick it up and leave another car here for an oil change. Mm -hmm. I don't have to go for an oil change. They will come and pick my car up for me for an oil change. And do you know how much money that makes them? Hundreds oh. of thousands of dollars <laughs> just from you because <laughs> you're going to buy that all the time because yeah. they've given you time as part of your service contract. Exactly. Like the one thing you can't pay for. So this right. is so this is actually so I, I know we're going to close out. I'm just going to keep going because it's the internet. Let's keep going. It's fine. So 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 this is a bunch of R and D that I'm doing right now. I'm in the process of like writing it all up. <laughs> but the so at some point companies have to compete on either some axis of being frictionless, like really easy experiences, like how do I become an easier brand to do business with, versus really designed memorable experiences. Right? There's a minimum threshold that every company has to have. Because I could be the greatest brand in the world, but if I can't work with you, then I can't work with you. And you could be a super easy brand to work with, but if you have no memorable experience, you're really competing like primarily on placement. Like the, you're, you're a bag of big pens, right? In the shopping, in, in the, at the end of the grocery aisle. So, so for everybody else, right? We have to have some amount of being easy enough to work with, a frictionless experience, well-designed, well-thought-through, and being a memorable experience, meaning I've got some form of... of a value that is provoking some kind of affective commitment that makes me want to be attached to your brand. Beyond that threshold, though, is a zero-sum series of efforts, meaning you can't continue on both in perpetuity. So, right? So it's like what happens is by category and then by competitor type within a category, you're going to make a choice about what kind of company you're going to be. And that's the most of the, the reality is that most people right now are still working on being sufficiently good at design experiences and sufficiently good at delivering them, right? So that's kind of the era we're in now, but by certainly not later than 2025, everyone's already going to be at that standard. And now they're going to be focusing on the actual problem. And what you'll see is that the, the, the leaders of every single sector in 2026 could be dramatically different than 2023 in just three years, because we're so close to this precipice because the, the amount of scale that we've seen of experience management, experience management will be as common as CRM, like within less than 10 years, guaranteed, probably less than five. So now everybody's competing on these same sorts of things. The question is, is how, how good are we like at competing on those things? So the question is, is do you want to, what's the difference between Panera and McDonald's? Both have sound, they both have bundled meals, they have whatever. One has chosen to go on the experience, the bread bowl, the whatever. And McDonald's is still selling more hamburgers than anybody in the world. 
So you can still be in quick serve and still choose to compete on one of those two things, but you have to make a choice because there's a bunch of middle brands that try to compete on both simultaneously mm -hmm. and they end up not getting any value out of that. So the question is, is like, how do we make these strategic trade-offs? It's like, well, you better know what you're doing. Like, <laughs> you're like, well, Steve Jobs is like, you know what? Everyone stop pretending you're Steve Jobs. Right? Heard of? Like there's just people who figure strategy out like and make really solid decisions in competitive markets. And I think like that's going to be a really exciting thing because I think we're going to see companies choose things different. Disney picked their path. They picked the memorable path. There's nothing easy about standing online for two hours to go on Space Mountain, no matter how many signs they put up that say you have two hours to go. You have an hour to go, right? Thank God for cell phones. In fact, maybe there's a conspiracy theory that says Disney invented the cell phone to allow you to wait online longer. Uh, mountain. But, but I shouldn't. That that's that was a joke. Uh, it's a joke. But but you see my point. Like companies are at the point of making those decisions, and the reason that you know that that's true is because you know experiences still aren't perfect. Everywhere we look, this is like, well, that company's experiences aren't perfect yet. Well, they're not at that point of making those types of really strategic trade offs. But the top twenty percent of experienced players are already there. Mm -hmm. right so it's like number one credit card company in the world has the exact same credit cards as everybody else right <laughs> like they, how did like they're getting outsized gains um by by doing things that other people couldn't do so mm -hmm. lots of personal you know anecdotes wrapped up in that i feel now i want to know what kind of car you bought because i'm super lazy okay i'll so, call you after <laughs> yeah well, I mean, it's true. Like I can, I can test drive every car out there and you know, I can't, I mean, I'm not a car person. I can't tell the difference. You know, is it shiny? You know, does it, you know, have a steering wheel and heated seats? Like I'm good. <laughs> I love how that escalated. It's like, does it have four wheels? Does it have rear seat entertainment? Does it have rear heated seats? Does it have a tow package? Does it, uh, does it have Wi-Fi? It's like all of a sudden you're, but again, this remember, is expectations. But five years ago, nobody thought every car was going to have a Wi-Fi hotspot in it. Yes. Now they basically don't even make cars that don't have that. But like now what I love is that like certain like high-end cars, especially the remote starter is just in the package mm -hmm. because what they realize is it costs more money at the plant to disable because every car had a remote starter in it, right? It was like whether it was enabled or not. It was too small of a feature to control per, at the unit level. Yeah. So. It's like, so wait, so we're putting a thing in the car that's just dead weight? Why don't you just give it to everybody and raise the price of the car by a hundred bucks? Like, because we were only making 80 bucks before. So we're gonna every like everything wins. This this is what this is where I love being in the soup with clients because you get to see how they think, you know, and it's it's really, you know, industrial organizational psychology, you know, the reason EX and CX are so closely related is at some point you're changing experiences through the employee. Whether it's a frontline employee, a first degree employee, a second degree employee, somebody who makes products and services, who has much bigger scale. The person who designs like a three series affects hundreds of thousands of people, right? The person who delivers your car affects a hundred people, but affects you more closely. And then you got third line, like dead weight type of staff. You're always influencing. I, I didn't mean dead weight. I, like that was a joke. It's like executives like me, whose job it is to like do whatever it is that I'm doing. So it's like, so you've now got an ability to deliver customer experience, but it always, always, always goes through the employee experience. Even if it's like, well, we deliver digital experiences. It's like, yeah, but you got people designing that digital experience, right? Yeah. Like, 
so at, at some point, like this is where service profit chain, you know, all comes back into play. Interesting stuff. <laughs> so it's, much. It's, it's live TV, folks. This is what you get. In it, is. it is live TV. And it, you know, it is. Yeah, it's this has been fun. I, uh, I really could probably continue on. There's a lot of things in my head. I'm like, don't say that because then you're just going to talk for another 30 minutes. So <laughs> we're going to have to probably have a follow up at some point. And we can do a, 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 a till you drop type of one. We're just going to keep talking Ooh. until we run out of stuff or somebody like falls over. Yeah. Whoever falls asleep first loses. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's the recipe for entertainment. It is. It sounds like we have something there. We'll have to, we'll have to bounce that around internally and see what we can do. Thank well, you, Jen, for this. This was super fun. This was really fun. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, thank you everyone for tuning in and listening. Please rate and review us on your favorite network. Don't forget to share the show with your friends and family in the next episode. I'm going to be joined by Kristen Luck of Scale House. So don't miss hey. it. We know Kristen Luck. We do know Kristen yeah. Luck. Yeah. So she'll be on the show next week. Make sure you tune in. Thank you again, Luke.